today's exit interview is with Mike Welter. Mike uh, retired just this spring, and Mike was a big uh, influence in me in my career at Story. We um, he'd been here 27 years. I've been uh, here a little over 20 most recently. So really, the entire time I've been here, uh, Mike has been here. He is a real uh, people person, and uh, you'll hear that, I'm confident, throughout uh, the course of this uh, exit interview. Uh, Also, uh, Mike is a shadow of himself. Uh, Since his retirement, he's really uh, gotten into his fitness, and uh, he just looks tremendous. He looks like he's riding off into the sunset, uh, feeling great, and ready for his next adventure. So without any further ado, Mike Welter. Mike, welcome back. Uh, welcome back to the office. It's been a while since you've been here. So uh, when did you retire? Retired February 7th, 2020, right before COVID hit. Uh, so uh, I missed out on all the fun, I guess, of what you guys have been going through. Oh, since it's, been, it's been a barrel of monkeys is, is what it's been. So February 7th? Yep. Okay. So uh, why did you, uh, what prompted your retirement? What, what made you say, you know what, it's time? Um, I had some health issues and I got over those. And uh, uh, my dad needed me a little bit more than, uh, than I was able to give with a full-time job. So I've uh, been able to uh, get over to Dubuque and help him more often than, than I've been able to. And and it was just uh, it's time for a new adventure, I guess. Sure. Natalie had been retired for several years, but she was too young to retire. I call it quitting her job. That's it. And uh, so um, she'd been waiting patiently, and so it was time. And our big plan was to do some traveling, which has been tamped down a little bit here, obviously. But uh, once that can resume, we'll, we've got several trips planned that uh, around the United States and maybe other places as well. Cool. So you mentioned your dad and he's in Dubuque. So tell me about growing up. Where'd you grow up and what, um, tell me about your family growing up. Yeah. Uh, Dubuque, Iowa. I'm one of seven kids. Um, the oldest boy, I have two older sisters, two younger brothers, two younger sisters. Um, good Catholic family. Uh, my dad owned a corner grocery store when I was growing up. And so everybody, uh, that was my first job. Uh, was sorting pop bottles and <clears throat> mopping floors at the grocery store. My mom worked nights at the billing department of the Dubuque Packing Company. So older kids had to watch the younger kids, you know, because dad would go back to the store to lock up and not get home until 930 at night. So we had to uh, kind of herd the, the younger kids, get them to bed, et cetera. So um, it was it was good Good time growing up. Uh, lots of neighbor kids, uh, pick up ball games. There wasn't the uh, uh, play dates and that sort of thing. You just uh, wandered around the neighborhood and found enough people to uh, play baseball or sure. football or whatever activities that were, were of interest to us. So uh, public school or Catholic school? Uh, ca- Catholic school. Okay. Yeah, Sacred Heart School in Dubuque, and uh, we all went there. Um, it was uh, 
tuition was uh, then it was real money, but you know, first kid was 50 bucks. Second kid was uh, 30 bucks after three kids. Uh, they got to go free. And so we had, we had the, the discount, the volume discount, I guess, if you will. Perfect. So in, uh, in high school, uh, baseball, softball, playing instrument, uh, what'd you do? No, I, I didn't do a lot of, uh, uh, extracurricular activities. Actually, my dad by then had sold the store and bought uh, an ice cream shop, uh, Brussler's 33 Flavors in, uh, in the Kennedy Mall, the mall there in Dubuque. And uh, so um, and then he just, and then he got called back to work at John Deere. And so um, after school, I'd always go over and, and help run the store. Um, and, uh, so didn't really have time for the extracurricular activities. Sure. So it was sure. helping the family business, so to speak. So you get from Dubuque to Ames to go to Iowa state. So what, what was that like? What was the decision to come to Ames and, and go to Iowa state? Growing up, I was always intrigued with, uh, um, science and math. You know, my, uh, imagination was, uh, enhanced when with the Apollo project, the moon landing and all that. I had all the models. I had the, uh, uh, the see-through uh, internal combustion engine model that, you know, I don't know if people remember those. So I was always wanting to know how things worked. And in high school, I took all kinds of shop classes, you know, wood shop, uh, auto mechanics, drafting, electricity. And uh, senior year, my... Uh, uh, counselor called me into the office and Mrs. Jane Reed, and I owe her a lot. She says, um, you got, you know, high grades. Uh, do you plan on going to college? And I said, well, yeah, I think so. And she says, well, you got to do more than take shop classes. So she loaded me up with physics and math and uh, those kinds of things to help get me ready for it. And she goes, what do you want to do? I go, well, I want to be an engineer, but I don't know what kind. So she gave me some uh, books to read. I knew I didn't want to sit behind a desk, but I wanted to be an engineer. And uh, uh, as I read about construction engineering, I saw that hey, maybe that was a good fit for me. And so, um, of course, Iowa State has one of the best construction engineering programs in the country. And so I signed up to go there and uh, started in that fall and went to college there. So the fall of what year? Fall of... Um, 70, I graduated in 77, so okay. fall of 77. So when you came here, where'd you live, and how'd you get plugged into Iowa State? Yeah, I um, uh, went to, was lived in the dorms, Linden Hall, uh, Fulmer House. Actually, a uh, uh, former story employee was a college roommate of mine, Martin Milley. So I got to know him then, and I'm still in touch with about a dozen of the guys I grew up with on that floor. Cool. And uh, so uh, really good, uh, good group of guys. And we, I would say, lived the full college experience. Uh, I won't, uh, won't pre-social media and pre-COVID, right? Right. Pre, yeah, Thank God it was pre-social media. Pre-cell phones, that's yeah. for sure. Um, I, I'll be remiss if I didn't say that uh, the highlight was that I did meet my, my wife there, uh, we met, we dated, uh, we got married when I was still in college. I had a year of college left to go, and I tell everybody I needed someone to pay my last year of college. And, um, of course, then Natalie would chime in and say, yeah, and you've been paying for it ever since. <laughs> so. 
So where and how did you meet her? I met her at um, um, the cave-in. It was a... Uh, the, it was like a public library sort yeah, of thing? Yeah, yeah it was okay. a study hall area uh, on Lincoln Way, or on uh, Welch Avenue. And uh, with some friends, uh, it was a Thursday night, and we needed a break from studying. I'm sure I was studying very hard, and uh, she was there, and she knew some mutual friends, and so we ended up at the same table and just kind of hit it off. So the rest is history. They say 40 years later, we're going to have our 40th anniversary here in November. Oh, darn. So where was she from? She grew up in Marshalltown, Iowa. Uh, most of the most of her, she moved there. She was actually born in California. Her dad was a um, uh, electrical engineer working on the uh, uh, at Vandenberg Air Force Base, and um, uh, then he got the call. He wanted to be a Episcopal priest, and so he went back to uh, Berkeley. Went back to school, and. Um, and so that they, and then they had their first uh, parish out in uh, uh, Pasadena, Altadena, and uh, so she was born out there. And then they moved to Sheraton. And then when she was in like third grade, they moved to uh, uh, Marshalltown, where she grew up, basically. Okay. All right. So that uh, takes us to Iowa State, and maybe through Iowa State. So you're getting ready to graduate. What were job prospects like, and where did you land, and how did that all look? Yeah, times times were a little tough. In uh, I graduated in the uh, uh, fall of '81, uh, and so I was interviewing, and they limited you to three interviews uh, a week. And by then, actually, Natalie was. Um, uh, had we just found out Natalie was pregnant. Uh, and so I was motivated to finish graduate to graduate and to uh, find a job. So we I do three interviews a day uh, a week. And um, I ended up with three offers. Uh, one was for a sprinkler company in downtown Chicago. Uh, that didn't wasn't too much of interest to me. Uh, one was for a, a scheduling engineer for a Bechtel company in San Francisco. And um, I didn't, the prospect of sitting behind a computer screen, you know, nine, nine hours a day didn't really appeal to me. And the other one was a general contractor in the San Joaquin Valley, Central Valley of uh, California, and Cahuilla Construction. And uh, so I uh, accepted that offer, uh, $21,500 was my uh, starting salary back then. And that was real money. And for a kid who... Uh, um, lived in Pamel Court and paid seventy dollars a month rent. You know that was that was real money. Sure. So, um, so we moved out there, lock, stock, and barrel, and uh, uh, then started a career out there. Yeah. So, how long did uh, you work at that company, and what what kind of roles and projects did you uh, play in? Uh, we were out there for twelve years. And uh, it was mostly uh, wastewater, water treatment plants, uh, low-head uh, hydroelectric projects, uh, communication towers, uh, more heavy stuff um, out there and all throughout California. So uh, rather than being away from my family during the week, uh, we opted to move the family to where uh, the project was. 
And uh, so we'd have like 12 to 18 month stints at, at each uh, place. And there, uh, that company put their project manager on site. And so we had one job and then we would bid the next job um, while we were finishing up that one to uh, go on. And sometimes there was overlap and it became a little hectic, but um, uh, we uh, found a way to make it work. So who were some of the real influential people then early in your career and at that company that you looked to uh, and really admired and helped shape shape your career? I would say there were three people. Uh, one was uh, Don Brown. He, Him and Ed Jackson hired me. Don was my uh, 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 supervisor, so to speak, and uh, uh, it was really awful. He... Um, was killed in a plane crash. Our company plane went down. I was there about uh, I don't know, four or five years. And uh, a company plane, small plane crashed on takeoff from the Sacramento airport. He was in it. Uh, our CFO was in it. And uh, a computer uh, analyst uh, was in it, and plus the pilot. And that was a real dark day for the company. Uh, we lost a lot of our uh, leadership uh, in that in that accident so we all had to grow up fast and uh lost to don uh, was was tremendous and uh, another guy scott richards uh he was kind of a senior project manager and he kind of moved into don's role as uh, uh, division manager and uh he was about five or six years older than me and i really looked up to him and he taught me a lot about estimating and about uh, managing work. Um, and then uh, during this uh, transition too, with uh, Don, replacing Don, we um, uh, needed a, a high powered project manager to uh, finish uh, this, the largest uh, power plant project that we had ever done, um, the Rio Bravo hydroelectric project down in Bakersfield. And uh, so uh, we brought in uh, uh, Doug Baker. It was his last, he had been retired. He was in his seventies. It was one of his last projects, uh, before he re officially retired. And, uh, it was one of my obviously first big projects. And so, uh, but with his age, I mean, his heyday was building the big hydroelectric, uh, projects, uh, in the West, you know, uh, Flaming Gorge Dam, um, uh, Glenheim Gelboa Dam, these were big dam projects. And so the stories he had and the way he approached people, I mean, one day I saw him, he was having a 20 minute conversation with the guy that was pumping out the, the Kaibo. And I said, what, what are you doing? What? He goes, you, you never piss off somebody who cleans your toilet. And uh, he, he, uh, he would donate uh, books in the name of uh, several of our African-American laborers who lived in Bakersfield to the library about African history, uh, African-American history. Uh, he was just a good guy and I learned early to connect with people and uh, he taught me that lesson. Mm. Sounds like great guys. So you're in California and you think, you know what, um, I'd like to be in Iowa. Or maybe you didn't. Maybe Natalie did. But how how did that? How did your family then transition from California to Iowa, and what prompted that? Yeah, we uh, uh, 
all our family lived back here and we missed being near family and uh, having the kids see their grandparents, a little foreshadowing there. But uh, um, so we started to ha- kind of have an eye on moving back to the Midwest. And uh, so we, one, one trip uh, vacation, we had driven out to uh, back to Iowa to visit family. And I took that opportunity to uh, uh, interview with a couple of local companies. One of them was Story. I uh, called ahead. Uh, they told me they weren't interviewing or they weren't uh, looking for anybody. I go, I know I just want to put a name with a face and could I stop by and introduce myself? So uh, I had an interview with Norm Reese. This was in 90, summer of 93. Of course, they were just reeling from the flooding here. It was a little bit of a chaos situation, but I interviewed uh, with Norm for about a half hour, and I figured that was it. But then he brought in Dick Johnson to uh, uh, meet me, and we talked for a little while, and then I thought that was done. And then uh, Brad Heemster came in, who was the, their senior project manager at the time, and I talked to him a little bit. And then Larry Dix, who was head of Estimate, he came in after that. So I figured maybe I, uh, they needed a break or I just had a, <laughs> made a connection with somebody. And, uh, and of course they left saying, well, they weren't, inter- weren't hiring. And I said, okay, fine and uh, good luck. So I drove back. We drove back to California and a couple of days later I was mowing the grass and my uh, son, Josh, He's in fifth grade, comes running out. He goes, some guy named Norm is on the phone for you. And so I went in and uh, Norm had uh, extended an offer to me. And uh, so uh, in the course of a month, we put the house up for sale, packed up, turned around and headed back to Iowa in a U-Haul and and a a car and a trailer and everything we owned was on the highway at that time. So the Iowa Clampets came home. That's right, that's right. So uh, what was your first day then? Do you remember your anniversary date? What was the first day? Uh, September 7th, I believe. It was uh, uh, 1993. Um, They kept it open because of the holiday and because I was traveling back. I had to uh, find a place, an apartment, and... uh, and to get unloaded and and all that but yeah i started that day and uh, a little bit of orientation not much and then uh, they said well we um, want you to start uh, be the project manager on the johnston high school project it was a uh, a new project or an addition to the high school uh, and it was a new gymnasium uh, a new cafeteria and kitchen and then a fine arts wing the superintendent was uh, Bill Mayer, who uh, they called Dollar Bill because he was a little tight with the dollar. Uh, him and I uh, uh, kind of led that project and uh, got it built. And it's kind of an interesting side story. Uh, and this is, a, I guess, a point to make. Always build like you're going to build for yourself because 10 years later, my son Josh graduated from uh, UNI and was a, a high school English teacher. And he came, his first job was at Johnston High School, and he was, uh, his classroom was the very building, very classroom that I built. And uh, so uh, I'm glad I did a good job on it because uh, uh, it kind of is neat to see the building get used uh, by somebody you know. Oh, absolutely. 
So you started in 93 and you retired in 20. Yep. So 27, 27 years. years. Yep. So what, uh, what are some projects in that time that you participated in that, um, that are particularly memorable to you? The UNI uh, Wellness Recreation Center, um, big project. Uh, it was going to touch a lot of people and it had a little bit of everything. It had some good steel construction. It had precast. Uh, it had some unique foundation systems, uh, uh, the pilings. And uh, it was while it was connected to uh, near the Unidome, which is, uh, was always going to be occupied and, and some classrooms around it. So uh, we had a lot of coordination to do. And uh, uh, Jim Sodders was the uh, superintendent on that. And uh, we needed some help. Uh, so I hired uh, a young engineer to uh, uh, help us with some uh, paperwork and out in the field. And, uh, and he stayed with us after he graduated. And then that was Brian Hessig. Uh, I take a lot of pride in having brought Brian into the, into the story fold. And were you on site for that job or in the office or splitting? No, I, I was uh, full time on that site. I would uh, go up there uh, Monday morning and I'd uh, get home on Wednesday uh, night late just to kind of check in with the family. And then I'd head back up for the rest of the week and then uh, come home. If we didn't work Saturday, I'd come home Friday night. Yeah, it was a big enough job. It needed a uh, manager presence on site which is what I was used to anyway. Sure, sure. So you uh, maybe talk a little bit about then your progression through the company. So you were a project manager, uh, and I think one of your hallmarks is you sh- you you help to relate to a lot of people and grow a lot of people up. So what did that look like uh, from your eyes in your career? Yeah, most of the people I developed were just by working with them on projects, um, you know, Valerie, uh, uh, Adam Papish, and then I had a, uh, uh, helped when I could uh, develop some superintendents. Um, I guess my trademark would be, uh, I, I did a lot of the uh, interviewing and helped hire uh, project engineers, and then worked with them to uh, hone their skills and give them advice on uh, uh, how to plug into a project and, and be helpful. And so that uh, that never ended. I, I'd like to think I did that um, throughout my career here and always uh, tried to help um, the managers when I could to be a resource maybe to, because of my tenure here, maybe it was just where to get the resources or advice if I had seen something similar on a, on a job that I did earlier in my career. One other project I guess I want to touch on was um, uh, Kinnick Stadium press box. We had the bid package for the concrete and the uh, steel erection for that. And uh, the first meeting I went to uh, was uh, there were eight of us in the meeting and six of us were Iowa State engineering graduates. And so uh, I knew right there that if uh, this building was going to get built right, it would have to be done by Iowa State uh, engineers, not University of Iowa engineers. And so uh, I made that point um, any t- every time I could when I was building. I'm sure that, you did. So. I'm sure you did. Well, so a similar question to the Kawia question related to people that you that helped to shape 
sort of your thinking uh, here and your career uh, at Story and in Iowa. Who are some of those names and some of those memories that um, that you look to as having uh, been impactful? One outside and two inside, I would sure. say. Um, one outside influence for me was uh, Bob Werson. Bob was a uh, owner of Interpower Corporation. I did about a dozen, 10 or 12 jobs for him over the course of uh, uh, my career here at Story. He just was a, a class act, well thought uh, individual. He um, um, would just call us up and say, this is what I need. And no interview process, just I pick story, uh, let's get it done. It usually was design, build work, and we just had to define the scope and, and get it built for him. The way he ran his business is how I think story ran uh, their business. They were uh, transparent in, in the information that they share. Uh, he shared with his uh, company and, and with the people outside the company. He would be a, kind of an open book and he would uh, connect, uh, just like Doug Baker, he would connect with uh, anybody and relate, find a way to relate to them. And so um, he was, uh, uh, how to approach life, so to speak, I, it, was, it was a big influence on me. Internally, um, I guess there were two people that I would look at, uh, Jimmy Rogers, and I only got to work on one job with him. Uh, but um, he was always an influence in throughout the company, and um, he was just so technically expert in, in everything. He would have a, uh, a thought process. Uh, <laughs> I am going to try to imitate him, but it's not going to work out very well. He would say, ah, the idea came to me very slowly, sort of like when you turn on your defroster and it... The windshield slowly clears up, and then it's, you can see clearly. And that's that's part of his thought process. Sure. But he, uh, I can see him saying that. Yeah, he uh, technically there's nobody better. He just would think a problem, sleep it until he found a solution. And we tapped into that a lot on on other projects that he wasn't even involved sure. with. Uh, another one is Jim Sodders. Uh, these are both longtime story guys, but I did a lot of projects with Jim, and I learned uh, uh, similar to uh, Doug Baker and uh, Bob Wirson. He had a way with people. When he was a superintendent, he could relate uh, to an owner, to a, uh, a designer, to the subcontractors. He'd get the most out of the subcontractors. They would want to do him favors. Um, he would convince a designer that his way might be better than what's shown on the drawings, and here's why, and they believed him. And then the owners just had a, a comfort level with him that they would, um, uh, it would be okay, uh, and uh, he, he had their back, and um, so uh, just he would, he would rally the team together to... Uh, uh, move forward and get the project done. And the way he related to people is just was extraordinary. Yep. And still is. They'll, they'll both be guests on exit interview, uh, in the coming weeks. Uh, you were involved beyond just story. Uh, I know in the community, in the industry, 
some of those things. So what, uh, what did that, uh, what, what did you plug into in your time while, I, while working? Natalie and I always believed in giving back to the community that we lived in. She was always on some sort of education board or committee or something, and uh, me to a lesser extent. But I guess the two big time commitments that I've had in in my time here at uh, in Ames was uh, uh, I spent ten years on the uh, uh, St. Thomas Building Committee, uh, helping them with their facilities. And um, uh, recently, I finished a eight-year commitment uh, with uh, the Greater Iowa Credit Union uh, Board of Directors that I was on. And uh, so those were the two big um, time commitments, I would say, in the community. So as a retiree, have you found that your calendar's freed up and you have a lot of free time, or are you as busy as you've ever been? Um, well, the, the virus has made it look different. Uh, instead of traveling uh, a, that we had planned uh, and seeing the grandkids, that's more planned, so to speak. We do see them and uh, we keep isolated. They keep isolated so we can spend some time together. We just had them for a week. Both uh, families stayed with us for a week at, uh, at our house and uh, that was fun. Um, We've, uh, instead of traveling, uh, we do day trips, Natalie and I, we uh, uh, have explored Iowa and uh, uh, do biking and hiking and kayak, kind of one day trips. And uh, we're, we're, our days are full, uh, but we're flexible. Uh, you know, we can move it around depending on the weather. And then of course I have a, been doing a lot of home projects, things that have been slipping over the years since, uh, Getting tightened up, yeah. Not been slipping. able to get some of that stuff done. Well, you'd made you've uh, referenced your family several times. So uh, tell us about your kids, your grandkids. Where are they, and what are they doing? Yeah, uh, Josh, my oldest, is thirty-eight, and he and his wife Anna live up in St. Paul. He is a middle school English teacher. Uh, Anna is working on her PhD at the University of Minnesota in education, also a teacher. They have three kids. Um, Sol is uh, eight, going on nine, um, going into the uh, third third grade. Lena is uh, five and uh, going to get ready to start kindergarten. And Freya is almost three. And uh, they, they keep that household busy, let me tell you. And then uh, Nick, my other son, he's a couple years younger than Josh. <clears throat> Him and his wife, uh, Leslie, live in uh, West Des Moines. Uh, Leslie is a teacher also. And yeah, you can't swing a dead cat in our ha- family without hitting a teacher. Uh, Nick, though, is a uh, project manager for Henning Companies. Uh, and they have two kids. Uh, Jackson is going into third grade also. He's eight, going on nine. He'll be nine in September. Keelan is um, six and going into first grade. And so they, they keep, uh, keep us busy. Uh, we do a lot of FaceTiming with them, et cetera. Sure. Well, I know uh, you live in Story City, so you split the difference some with uh, proximity. So you're uh, not next door to either of them, but not far away from anybody. Yeah, three hours door to door. 
uh, to Josh and St. Paul in about 45 minutes to West Des Moines. So, yeah, it's when I was working, it was you could do anything on a weekend and get close enough. But um, and now it's uh, time isn't a factor. It's whenever. Same way with uh, visiting my dad. Um, we uh, go during the middle of the week, which which helps because my other siblings uh, don't have that option. A lot of them are still working. And so they can they visit on weekends. And so that we spread out the visits a little bit. So we'll uh, start to land the plane here. This gets to be part of the part of the conversation that says, man, so you've worked uh, a full career. You've had a lot of experiences. You've helped shape a lot of careers. Um, and many will listen to this podcast that uh, that maybe don't know you uh, and never got to experience Mike Welter. So what what pearls of wisdom would you have out there for young people or really for anybody uh, in the company and in the industry to uh, to be successful, to um, to benefit from your experiences, how would you? Uh, what would you tell folks? I would say, if you have the opportunity for a field assignment, take it. Um, the magic, the um, the excitement in this industry is in the field. It happens in the field. When you're retired, you don't think about that that complicated submittal that you worked on and turned in. You talk about that two crane pick that you did or that middle of the night shutdown that you did and working with the guys in the in the mud and and the blood and guts to try to get something done. That's where the excitement is. That's where the you gain the most experience in the fastest way. And um, I guess the other thing would be um, always listen to your team in the field, uh, whether it's a, a craftsman or a foreman or an operator or a superintendent, um, they have a firsthand knowledge of the problem. And if you have a construction challenge, they probably already either have it figured out or uh, have um, some ideas on how to approach it. And uh, that's invaluable. And whatever success I've had, uh, in my career, it's because I, I listen to um, my my team in the field. Uh, the superintendent is hands down the most important person on the on the team. Um, they touch the most diverse group of people, from the craftsmen to the owners, the designers, and um, they have a unique perspective on on whatever challenge is out there. And so, you need to listen to them. You need to um, have them be part of the solution. Uh, otherwise, you'll have a, a uphill battle trying to solve uh, any challenge that you have. Sure, sure. All right, uh, it's open mic now. A- anything else to share? Any any other uh, memories or stories that uh, are uh, worth passing down or important to pass down through this format? Well, a lot of the stories, uh, it's a two-way street, so I don't want other stories (laughs) to get out. So uh, I'm not going to do some of the individual stories. I will say I I, um, really uh, appreciate the opportunity that story afforded me. Um, You know, uh, I was in California. I was, you know, we did very specific types of projects, but when I'm working with story, I was able to um, uh, broaden the opportunity for other projects. So, you know, from treatment plants to 
uh, manufacturing facilities and warehouses and offices and banks. Um, and you'll laugh at me, Mike, because you've heard me complain a lot, but um, churches, um, I did about a dozen churches and I always complained about how hard they were and how disorganized they were. But, um, <clears throat> you know, you got a group of people who don't know sometimes what they want. They don't know the process or how to get there and they don't have the money to build it. You know, you would think that's other than that. It's easy. Yeah. That's the great target audience to uh, shoot for. Right. Um, but, um, they need you. I mean, that's, that's the bottom line. And, uh, so, and you need a, a special superintendent that has the, um, uh, the patience and the ability to fill in the blanks because usually the drawings aren't complete. You know, guys like Tom Clawson or Jim Voss, um, they were just expert in, in those types of projects. But, you know, as hard as it was and as disorganized as it was, as much as I complained about them, um, and when they were done and you were sitting there uh, at either dedication or in your home church that you helped build, and uh, you look around and you watch people worship in the in the building that you uh, help build, um, there is a, a great deal of satisfaction in that, and uh, you're proud of uh, your accomplishments, and uh, it's just a uh, a great a great feeling to be a part of that. Amen. Amen to that. Amen. Yeah. yeah. Great. Well, thanks for coming in. Oh, it was a pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. I look forward to the other uh, uh, retirees that uh, they have uh, a great insight for for the young people as they uh, as as they grow in their own uh, uh, careers. Uh, so there you have it, folks. Uh, you heard uh, from Mike Welter and what his journey into retirement is looking like and the stories uh, that he shared to get from here to there. He is, uh, and his really legacy within the company is about being very relatable and connecting with a lot of people. His impact uh, is really felt uh, through people, whether it's uh, people internally to the company, people in the industry, or uh, people in the projects that were involved um, that, that he served. So he was a great um, teammate at Story and a great teacher at Story, and we wish him all the best uh, in his future.